Good morning, everybody. Wow, this is power. Can you, can you hear my voice? This is power. Holy cow. Um, it is great to be with y'all this morning on this rainy, rainy Sunday morning. Um, I drove in from North Atlanta, and um, I live to tell about it. It's really cool. Um, I got up real, real early this morning, got on the road, and through sleet and snow and rain, I made it here this morning, and... Um, <clears throat> I'm just messing with you. I'm just playing with you. Um, I'm not Keith. If, if this is your first time at Christ Community, I'm definitely not Keith. Um, I am a poor substitute for Keith. Keith has gone on um, a break this week with his family, and he asked me if I would come and share the message with y'all. And if, if you are a regular attender or a member of Christ Community, you probably know who I am because I've spoken here several times. And if you are brand new here or have not ever seen me before, then you've been, you started coming within the gap here. And my name is Jeff Heath, and it's a pleasure to be with y'all. I, I love coming and seeing y'all, and there are people I make connections with and have, have made connections with for years. And I look forward to seeing you and renewing the connections and just saying hey to y'all. Um, it's, just, it's just great to be with y'all this morning. Um, I hope y'all are doing great. I hope y'all are doing great. My family is going crazy. My kids came out from camp this past week, and they're not with me today because they're, you know, when you do camp, you st student camp, the next Sunday at church, it's a sharing time about what Jesus did in their lives and stuff. So I asked all my girls, I have a 16-year-old daughter, Sarah, 14-year-old daughter, Abby, then there's a four-year gap, and then I have an 11-year-old son, Eli, and a 9-year-old son, Noah. And people ask me, they say, why a four-year gap? Why didn't you do it like, you know, boom, 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 boom? And I said, well, to be honest with you, if you want to know the truth, I'm just going to tell you the truth. I said, the girls got easy and we got frisky. And that's, you know, that's, that's and then we ended up, no, I'm just kidding with you. The, the girls got easy, and then what we started thinking was, um, I wanted to have a boy, you know? And so we got a boy, and then Kelly said, um, you know, well, he can't be alone. We got to have, you know... And so I said, okay, so we had another child, ended up with another boy, and so that's how all that happened. But they, they will be with us hopefully in August. I'm coming back in August, and hopefully they will come, because we were part of Christ's community when we lived in Montgomery back in the early 2000s. So that's how long we've been a part of Christ's community, and Keith and I have known each other for a lot of years. Uh, it started out in the 1900s, actually, when we knew each other. That's how long it's been. And so um, Keith and I are really good friends and really good buds in ministry and brothers and have known each other forever. And so um, anyway, that brings me here this morning, and I'm glad to be here with you. Now, we're not in the Love Is series today, okay? Um, we are, um, I'm coming in this morning, and I want to share with you typically what's been going on in my own life and what's been going on in my sphere of the world up in North Atlanta and hopefully build a bridge to where you are that what God has shown me and God has been teaching me in my own life might be something that will be helpful to you in your life and in your walk with Christ, okay? And so that's where I'm coming at this morning. So you have an outline that's there. I'll invite you to take that out. Um, and let's look at this together. Um, I've been studying the Gospel of Matthew for the last year. I've been studying the, the, the Gospel of Matthew. And Kelly, my wife, and I lead a college ministry up at the church where we attend and belong to up in Cumming, Georgia. And um, I've been walking through the book of Matthew with them. And Matthew, to me, is an incredible, incredible um, biographer, incredible writer, writing to a Jewish audience, 
okay? And, and, and here he is writing the story of Jesus. And when I was in seminary, I took a class under a professor that taught us about the parables of the kingdom, which all came out of the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. And I've got to tell you that that book and that class changed my life about how I think about Christ in my own life, about Jesus and how he lives in my life through his Holy Spirit, and, and how I try to live every day with this understanding of the kingdom of heaven. And we're going to get into that a little bit through this message, I hope, that we come back around and share a little bit about that as well. Um, but he's writing to a Jewish audience, okay? And all through this Gospel of Matthew, you will hear references to this kingdom of heaven thing. You'll hear references to this, the, 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 the kingdom of heaven can be like, and then Jesus tells the story of what the kingdom of heaven is like. All through the Gospel of Matthew, he talks about the fact that the kingdom of heaven is not up here, but down here where we are. It's where you are, and where you are, and where you are, and where I am. And when we actually realize that the power of the kingdom of heaven is, is where we are, it's a game changer with how we live life. It's a game changer when you're going through a storm in life. It's a game changer when you celebrate what's going on in your life. It colors and changes everything. And we come to a point in Matthew's Gospel here that I want to share with you that was a game changer in the disciples' lives and became a game changer in my life when I realized it. And, and was renewed as we went back through it with my college kids um, the past couple of weeks. And I want to share it with you this morning. Before we do that, though, um, let, let's bow our heads and have prayer, okay? Father, we love you. We thank you so much for this awesome opportunity we have to be with you. And I, I thank you, God, for Matthew. I thank you for his writing. And I pray at this time, God, that all we do that has been a blessing to you, God, that, that, that you have inhabited the praise of your people through your song, through your music. And Father, I pray that what, what I would say at this time and, and what we're thinking about in this room right now, that we would just kind of leave it and that we would, we would draw into your presence right now, that you would have your will and your way in our thoughts and what you want to teach us and how you want to grow us during this time. Uh, we give it to you, that all of it's pleasing to you, and, um, and, and, and we love you, Lord. We thank you for who you are in us. We lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, um, we come to the chapter 16 in Matthew. Let me, let, me, let me read this chapter to you, okay? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, and we come to a point in time... where Jesus is getting away with the disciples, and he's coming to a district of Caesarea Philippi, and he begins to ask the disciples, saying this, it's verse 13, chapter 16, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, well, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah, and others say one of the prophets. And he said that to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, and he said to him. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him back, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now watch this. 
verse 18. And also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not overpower it. I will give you the keys, now listen to this, of the kingdom of heaven. Remember what I said earlier? And whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you shall lose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. But then he warned the disciples that they shouldn't tell anybody that he was the Christ. And from that time, Jesus Christ began to show his disciples that he must go into Jerusalem, suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, be killed and raised up on the third day. And then Peter, the one who just a second ago declared him the Son of God and the Messiah, turns right around and he says, he starts rebuking Jesus, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And then then Jesus turns to Peter and he says, you get thee behind me, Satan, because you're a stumbling block to me. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but you're setting them on man's instead. And then Jesus said to his disciples, if anybody wishes to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Okay, that's a pretty big scripture right here. So this week I want you to take it in your daily quiet time and read it. You know this scripture well, but in the context of what I'm going to bring up to you today to get you to think about, I just want you to think about it this week in, 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 in your own personal time. There's no way I can cover it all, uh, what I want to say this morning, but I want you to take it on your own and ask God to speak to you even deeper than what I'm saying this morning, okay? So let's dive in this chapter together. How many of y'all have been to the movies recently? How many of y'all gone to the movies? Okay. How many of y'all have seen Aladdin? Yeah, okay, Aladdin. I like it. Uh, Prince Ali, you know what I'm saying? How about, um, okay, um, a few of you have been to Aladdin. That's great. I'm, I'm a Disney guy. I love Aladdin. It was a great movie, I thought. I thought it turned out really well. I'm going to do this a lot because Mike's bugging me. Okay. How many of y'all have seen a lesser, a, a more obscure movie that not many people heard about? Because it's only on select theaters. Hasn't made much money yet. Um, it's called Endgame. It's a thing called Endgame, Avengers. How many of y'all seen that movie? Okay, two of you. Yeah, you ought to go see that movie. It's really a better movie than Aladdin in a lot of ways. Um, I'm not lying to anyone listening on, on web or whatever. Everybody raise their hand, okay? Yeah, I saw that this week with my boys. Incredible movie. You know what makes these movies incredible? The technology. I mean, did you know that most of these movies are filmed in a room that looks like this? And they got a big blue screen back there. And they just go, hi, I'm Thor and I got this hammer. You know what I'm saying? But then it makes it look like he's on this obscure planet somewhere because of the computer technology. Aladdin's flying on that magic carpet. And he's going, um, I can show you a blue screen. You know what I'm saying? And he's, he's flying with this blue screen behind him. But it makes you look like he's flying all through Ag- Ag- Agrabah. You know what I'm saying? All, it makes you look like he's flying everywhere. It's amazing, the technology. Now, when I was growing up, they actually filmed the films with the backdrops. Like they built the city and they filmed it all in the city. You know what they do today? They build these cities at theme parks so that you can actually walk amongst the cities, but they film the movies on a blue screen and make you feel like you're in the city on the movie. See the difference there? Now you say to me, Jeff, this is a waste of my time. Why in the world am I talking about movies and blue screens? I'm not wasting time. Here's the reason I'm telling you this. 
Because in the book of Matthew, Jesus does these big things. And every time he does these big things, he goes off and gets away from the crowd. He's drawing these big crowds. And every time he feeds 5,000 or feeds 4,000 or walks on the water or does all these big things in the book of Matthew, he always retreats and tries to get away from the multitude. Well, guess what? It wasn't working very well. And so this scripture here, he finally ends up leaving an area that has a lot of Jewish people there. And he goes to a lesser known place, more obscure place that has very few Jewish people there. It's almost like a blue screen. He takes these disciples off, away from where everybody is and where everybody's trying to drag him into being a king, you know what I'm saying, and all these things. He brings them to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And it's amazing because you realize why he asks them these questions when he's there. Because it is a cultural, secular place. There were over 14 temples to Baal scattered all through Caesarea Philippi. There was this mountain that was there, a hill and a cave. And inside this cave, it was thought that the actual god of nature was invented, called Pan. That's where he originated, okay? Also, there were these springs that were down in this hill in a cave, okay? And these springs were bubbling water that they think to this day is where the River Jordan originated that actually baptized Jesus. So, you see, Jesus is walking in this secular cultural bastion of secularism, all right? And he's getting away from where they're known, where, where the multitudes would come and get him and want to bring him and make him king and, and do all these things. In fact, before he walks on water, just before this passage, he feeds the 5,000. And he's afraid they're going to make him king. And he tells the disciples, he actually makes them, get in a boat. Say, I need you to go get in a boat right now and go across the river. Go across the Sea of Galilee. Get, get away from here. Because he's afraid that they might join the crowd. So he tells them, get on over there, you know. And he's trying to get away from where all these people might know him. So he's in this region that where there's not many folks, not, not many Jewish folks there. It's like a blue screen. It's in a different place. Now, isn't that where we live today? We live today in a bastion of secularism. I'm telling you, it's not getting any better, folks. Um, the world has done a great job defining who we are as Christians. And I'm just going to be honest with you, like I'm honest with my college kids, like I'm honest with my family. We have got to do a better job as Christ followers in how we present the gospel to people. Because the media and social media and the world is getting very good on defining who we are in a bad way. They're not saying the truth. And we have got to, we've got to walk closer to God than we've ever walked with him before. We've got to be open to doing whatever it takes in ways we've never thought before to reach people with the life-saving gospel of Jesus Christ. We've got to not be in our own little worlds. We got to be on a magic carpet with people saying, I can show you a world. I can show you what life is really all about. And I'll get into that as we keep going. So you're in this cultural thing, okay? And Jesus, in this cultural setting of Caesarea Philippi, 
knows what's going on around him with the god of Pan and the Baal worship. Oh, there was even a white marble statue that was raised to Caesar, Caesar, not Caesar Salah, but Caesar, in the middle of Caesarea there. And, and, and they're all seeing that too, see? And it's out of that atmosphere that Jesus says, you know, time is short. I need to do a gut check. And so he asked the disciples three questions. Three questions. Now, a lot of sermons you'll hear focus on the one question. But I want to focus this morning on three questions. And what I'd like to do is this. I'd like to change them and focus them in our direction as opposed to focusing them in somewhat the way they're being focused in this passage. I'm going to ask them both ways, actually. Okay? So, here we are. And they're in Caesarea Philippi. And all of a sudden, Jesus asks the first question. Now, now don't write this down because this is not the first question. I do it out of order. <laughs> okay? But the first one he says to them, it says, who do people th say that I am? And they give him a whole bunch of these different people that he thinks they are. But then he says, who do you say I am? The people that have been closest to me. Okay? Who do you say I am? And there's silence. And then all of a sudden, Peter kind of stands up probably, and he says, I'll tell you who you are. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the Messiah. And Jesus then says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because this wasn't just revealed to you by yourself, but God himself revealed it to you and told you and revealed that to you. In other words, there was an intimacy there between Peter and God to where he listened to what God was saying and it was revealed to him that he was the son of God. And then Jesus says, and I won't call you Simon Barjona anymore. I will say that you are Peter, which means rock. And it's upon people who know that truth, know it, that I will build my church. And there won't be any problem with me building it, Jesus says. Me, Jesus, building it. Because that's the truth. That's the light. And people will be drawn to it, you know. And then he says this. He says, Peter, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The keys to the kingdom of heaven. And you'll have the power that whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever will be loosed on, earth, loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven as well. Now that's power, okay? That's power far greater than anything we can accumulate on this earth, than anything, okay? And the first question that I feel it's important as a Christian that we answer is this. First one, who do we say Jesus is? That's the first question. And you can write that down on the outline if you want to. Who do we say Jesus is? Who do we say Jesus is? Every one of us have to answer this question. Now, let me say what I'm saying. Now think about it for a minute. Think about it in your mind. Who do you think Jesus is to you? Who is he to you? Who do you say he is? You see. Um, when we become Christians, that whole act of accepting what Jesus did on our behalf, the bridge that's built there, that's Jesus as a Savior. He has saved us from our sins. He has bridged the gap between unholiness and a holy God to the point that we can 
be holy on this earth through his Holy Spirit in our relationship with Almighty God every day. And that's one way we see Jesus as a Savior. But beyond that, write down on your, on your note thing there, write down what other things you see Jesus to you. How do you. Who do you say he is to you? Some of you might say comforter. Some of you might say a peace giver. All these different words that you say for Jesus, okay? There's one word we use a lot that, that I want to kind of clarify. Some of us might write the word friend, that he's my friend. What a friend we have in Jesus. You know the old hymns that we used to sing? All our greeds and sins to bear, you know? Um, he is a friend, okay? He is a friend. The problem with him being a friend is that we can fall into treating him like we treat all of our other friends, like he's on the same level as we are, you know? And what we might do to our friends, we might also do to him. We might even start thinking that he is just like a friend, you see? And, and what happens, I think, in a lot of times in our culture and in our world where Christianity and our world seem to bridge and come out and come in and come out is that when we put him too much on a friend level, we start allowing what we think Christianity should be. We start thinking we have equal rights to bring it to the table with Jesus about what we think Christianity ought to be, you see, as opposed to what Jesus says Christianity is. And how we live. You see what I'm trying to say there? And a lot of times we get it confused. Because not only is Jesus our Savior, but he's also our Master. And he's also our Lord. And when you call somebody a Master, and you call somebody the Lord of your life, that means he doesn't comply to our friendship. It means we comply to his Lordship and his, his Mastership. You see what I'm saying? Which means he trumps anything we think, he trumps anything we do or want to do, he trumps anything we want to say. And a lot of times as Christians, and we're all, I'm pretty sure all of us in here are Christians, we follow Christ with our life. We go into Bible studies, we start knowing, learning and knowing all about who he is. We learn all about who Christi what Christianity is, all about who Jesus is. And then sometimes we substitute what we know about him for knowing him and we start saying well I am a great Christian because I know all about him I can tell you I can debate anything with you on a scriptural verse I I know all about him but really in essence we don't know him we haven't and and it's almost like two little love tanks when we become Christians we start growing we start feeding on the word and we start serving and it's so great but then we allow that to substitute for the intimacy that has to grow with us in God. We think it just comes from this, you know? But we've got to also make sure that we know him as intimately as we know about him. I'll give you an example about this. When Jesus walks on the water just before this passage we're reading today, um, Jesus sends him off in a boat, and he walks on the water, and Peter comes out, walks on the water with him. Hey, the water's great. He starts to fall when he looks around. Jesus grabs him, puts him into the boat, and as soon as he gets into the boat, the Bible says, the winds calmed down and the storm went away. And the disciples said to this, here's what the disciples' response was, you are certainly the Son of God. 
you are certainly the Son of God. Not, you know, that's another check for the Son of God over there, you know. No, they said, you are certainly the Son of God. But you know what happens four chapters earlier? They're on the sea, and there's a storm, and Jesus is in the boat with them. And Jesus stands up and says, peace be still. And the sea obeyed him. And you know what the disciples said at that point, earlier in the ministry? They said, wow, who is this guy that even the seas and the winds obey him? See, they were learning about him at that stage. And then further along in the ministry as they're hanging with Jesus, it's not, wow, this guy is really, no. They said, you are certainly the son of God. Do you see the difference there? It's not just knowing about him. It's knowing him. Great, great illustration. Y'all, you ever see the movie Mask of Zorro with Anthony Hopkins? He plays Zorro. I love that movie. Eli, my buddy, my little boy, Eli, 11 years old, um, we watched it the other night. I was trying to introduce him to some really good superheroes like Zorro. You know what I'm saying? Because I love Zorro. And that movie was awesome. Really old movie. It's got Anthony, it's got Antonio Bandadris as the young Zorro, you know, and Catherine Zeta-Jones as the, as the, um, as the daughter of, of, of Zorro. Anyway, Here's what happens. Zorro is married, has a little girl named Elena, baby. His nemesis comes, takes the house, burns it down, kills the wife, takes the baby, and throws Zorro in jail. De, De La Vegas is his name. He takes Elena for his own, raises her as his own daughter. Zorro breaks out of jail, comes, trains a younger Zorro, which is Antonio Banderas, okay? And when they're, when they're going after De La Vega, meanwhile, Elena has grown up to become Catherine Zeta-Jones. She starts hearing bits and pieces about this other life that she knew nothing about, about herself. When the old Zorro comes and storms the house and approaches De La Vega with a sword, he calls Elena out, and Elena comes out, and he says, tell her, De La Vega, Tell her who her real dad is. And De La Vega says, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, he, he bluffs it off, even though he's lying, and it really is Zorro's daughter. And Elena hears the whole thing. And all of a sudden, De La Vega said, guards get him. And when they're about to kill Zorro, Elena steps in front of what's about to happen and says, don't! And she's all teary-eyed. And Zorro drops his sword and says, I'm satisfied. And De La Vega says, take him to prison. And Elena runs off. And Zorro looks at De La Vega and says, she knows. She knows. She doesn't just know about me. She knows me. And that's what Jesus wants from us. He wants us to know him. And you know what happens in that movie? Zaro gets out. Why? Elena comes and rescues him, becomes the heroine, and puts him in the position to defeat the enemy at the end. She was willing to do anything because she knew the truth, and she knew him. Are we willing to do that? Do you see what I mean there? It's the difference in just knowing about God and making it very rote and everything and really knowing who Jesus is in your life. That's what Jesus was saying. Who do you say I am? You know? Who do you say I am? It's a cool thing. Okay, second thing I want to write. Second question. 
All right? I'm going to I'm I'm twist this around the other way now. Who does Jesus say you are? Whoa. Who does Jesus say you are or we are? I've asked this of myself. Who does Jesus say we are? Now, we, we like to get in the position in culture and society today, you hear it all the time. God is love. He's just unconditional love. Love always wins. He, he you know, love is, God is just love, and, and we're just love, and everything's good. But, but, but God is love, okay? God is unconditional love. But God's love is not human God's love is a divine love. God's love is a love with parameters on it, you know? If we step outside the bounds of what this book teaches, God still loves us. But he's also God enough to say, you're not, you're not right. You're not living right. You know, you're not living according to the book. You see what I'm saying? 2,000 years of, of church teaching, Christian teaching, this, this scripture, you know? And whereas he loves you unconditionally, he's also God enough to say to us, you're out of step with what this book teaches and how you're living or what you're saying or whatever it is, or what, what we all, how we all live, you see. Human love today, you'll hear a lot, mixes the two up and says, if you don't agree with what I do or how I do it or who I am or whatever, then you don't love me unconditionally. Sounds like my children when I don't give them what they want. You know what I'm saying? They come up to me and say, can I have this candy bar? I say, well, no, I just gave you a milkshake. And they go, well, why? You just don't love me. You know? I don't know who invents these phrases. Every kid, who, everyone's had kids here. How many of your kids have said at some point in their life, you're not the boss of me? How many of you say, can I see your hands? Am I the only? Okay, great. I'm so glad. Seriously. Or you're not the boss of me. Or if you don't give them what they want, they say, you don't love me. And I'm going, I'm not giving it to you because I love you, not the other way around, you know what I'm saying? And, and, so, and so, so because God is God, he does label us. He calls it as he sees it, you know? There's a, Jesus at one point in the scriptures, in the book of Matthew, he comes up to the church leaders of the day, and he says, you know something? And he had the disciples with him, had all these people with him, and he called right in front of all those people. He came to those Pharisees and everybody, he kept to him and said, you know something? That prophet Isaiah, that old boy, he got it right when he said that you worship me with your lips, but your heart is so far away from me. You don't know me. You know all about me, but you don't know me, you know? And then he says, you guys are just teaching doctrines of men. You're not teaching spiritual doctrines, you know? So that's Jesus saying that. How many of us would fall into that category, Okay. And then you got another category where Jesus, at another point, was teaching a parable of the talents. And he said, I've given all these talents to people, and the ones that multiply the talents and do something with what I've given them will hear their master say, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. How many of us would fall in that category when we think about how we live with God? And then the third category would be what happens here with Peter, where Peter steps up and says, I'll tell you who you are. You're the Christ. And Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. That is awesome. In fact, it's so awesome what you said there. I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. You know? Which, let me tell you what that is. That was the power that we all have in this room to unlock 
people's souls to help them go to heaven. That's what he's talking about. And Peter's not the only one that has the power. We got the power. You see what I'm saying? And it's something that we, it's something that we don't need to take for granted, but understand the weight of it and understand how awesome it is that through our lives and the power of his Holy Spirit that we have the keys of the kingdom. That what we do with somebody can, can loosen, can, can bind them on earth and bind in heaven or loosen earth and earth loosen heaven, their soul so that they can have the kingdom of heaven in their life. You see, such a cruel thing. But, and and so, so, so that's the second question. What does Jesus say you are? And those are kind of the categories all through the scriptures. Jesus wasn't afraid to call it like it was. And when we read those things, I go, oh my gosh, do I give lip service to Jesus? Or is my heart where he is? You see? Or, or, or Heath, that's my last name. You did pretty doggone good right there, man. I hear God clapping. Well done, good and faithful servant. You know, I'm doing the best I can, and I'm feeling good about where God's got me and where, where I feel like I'm supposed to be with God. Or the third one where I am riding on the top of the wave, you know? And God's saying, man, good job. You know? He's not afraid. So what would he say about y'all? You know? What does he say, who does he say, where you are in your life right now? Just something to think about, okay? Some, something to kind of think about. All right, the last question goes back up to sort of the beginning of this passage. When Jesus first started taking a poll, what are people saying we are? You know, he said to the disciples, who are people, who, are, who do people say I am, okay? And I would change it for us this morning, how I changed it for myself, and I would say it this way. Who do others say you are? When we leave this building and we're out in Montgomery and we're living our lives, I wish I could have a map up here. And I wish I, had, I, wish I was Google. And I tracked everything you guys did this whole, this whole week. Like where you went, not tracked, but where y'all went. And I wish I could put it up on this screen to show you how big of a world Christ Community Church is in this place by how many places you guys go and how the roads just intersect and go all over the place which all represents opportunity that God has for your life to intercept with people who God has intention for you to reach for his kingdom the kingdom of heaven here on this earth not just up there see and it's, it is really something to kind of get a hold of. Now, now, here's what Jesus didn't say. He said, who did all, he didn't say this to disciples. Now, let me take a poll here, guys. You know that guy named Tim that we got to know over there when I was feeding the 5,000? Who does he say I am? Or you remember, remember, remember um, Cindy over here? She came up second and got that bread and those fish when, when we were feeding everybody, you know? What, 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 who does she say I am, you know? He didn't get personal. He, got, he was talking about people that they didn't know, people that were just parts of the multitude that they didn't really get to know. What are you hearing from people? So that's kind of the context I'm asking this question of myself and y'all. Who would you think, who do you, th on the, on the people that you don't know, people you interact with at stores and restaurants and the mall and everywhere you go that you don't know, if they could tell you what they thought of you when you encountered them and had an interaction with them,
what do you think they would say? That's a hard question, isn't it? You know? It's a hard question. It's, it's one I had to really think about. It's getting harder and harder to share the gospel these days. It's getting harder and harder. It hurts my heart. I don't like people very much. I'm not a people person. I love people. I go to a party, man, and people energize me, buddy. I'm a monkey. I just love people. I love people. I love to be with people, you know? I was, I was um, doing my yard this past week, and I'm putting new landscaping, like, like plants and stuff in my yard. So I went to Home Depot. Two women at Home Depot sitting and standing there, and they didn't have Home Depot garb, you know. You know, I went to Home Depot. Why? Because um, we can do it, they can help, right? That's kind of what they, So I went to Home Depot, and I'm out there, and these women were out there, and they were not part of Home Depot. And I said, excuse me, ma'am. I said, could I see your thumb? And she went, I beg your pardon. I said, could I just see your thumb for a minute? She showed it to me. It was green. I said, fantastic. Can you help me? I said, I'm trying to find some plants for my yard. Can you help me? She says, I'll be glad to help you. And she said, let's grab this other girl. So I ran over the other girl. I said, excuse me, ma'am. I said, can I see your thumbs? And she said, I, I'm sorry. I said, I, can I just look at your thumbs real quick? I said, let me just see your thumbs. She said, okay. And she, I said, they're green. Great. Can you help me? And the other girl go, he's cool. And I said, okay. So she said, okay, great. So she came over and they started helping me do my yard. They spent 40 minutes with me. When it was over with, I said, you guys are just about the best Home Depot people that I've ever met, you know? And I thank you so much for taking so much time to help me. She said, well, she said, actually, we're not Home Depot people. I said, you're not? She said, no. I said, so that phrase, you know, you can do it, we can help, that didn't apply to you? And she said, no, it applies to us. We're the actual nursery where you get the plants. We brought them in here and everything from the nursery. That's your mind. I said, oh, great, thank you so much. She said, can we say that it was also very easy to help you because you're so friendly, you're so nice, you're so awesome. And I said, well, thank you, I appreciate that. I said, you mean people are actually rude? And she said, you would not believe. People treat us like, you know. I said, you're kidding. She said, no. And I said, wow. I said, well, what nursery? She said, well, these nurseries came from Mobile, Alabama. There's nursery that cr cruise all the way up from Mobile all the way up to North Georgia, North Atlanta. I said, wow, that's pretty awesome. I used to live in Daphne. Really? We're, we're thinking about moving to Fairhope, Daphne. I said, that's fantastic. Got, got to know each other. I mean, she could have been my third cousin. We were so close and talking, having a great time. Okay? Then she said, what, what, what brought you up here? You were there for seven years. And I said, well, my wife and I, we planted a church down there. And when she heard that, well, it was good to see you. Thank you so much for um, letting us show you where the plants are. Um, we'll take, y'all take care now. We've got to go and keep cleaning these. I mean, it was like, it was like, you know what I mean? I was shocked. And I said, certainly that's a one-off. Certainly, that's just a one-off. That's not, that's not the way it is. Because I do that all the time. I, I, I do that all the time. I try to help them at some point know, because they, they often say that. Man, you're so friendly. I say, well, this kind of, you know. So I'm having dinner last night with one of our friends for their birthday. They just came back from San Diego. Who would go to San Diego? They did. They went to San Diego. It's a great place. It's got a great zoo. They were taking a Segway tour. When the, you know, Segway, the thing without the, you get on it, and you, you know, that sort of thing. And um, they're on that Segway tour. When it's over with, the guide who was leading him in the Segway tour commented about how 
um, courteous and how top-notch her three boys were. And she said, she said to him, she said, well, um, thank you so much. And she, do you not get this all the time? He said, are you kidding me? The boys we get on these Segway tours, your boys are incredibly courteous and nice. They can come on a tour anytime, you want, anytime they want to. They, they were great. She said, well, thanks a lot. Has they got to talking? Somehow it came up about Christianity. I don't know how it did. And she said as soon as he got a, a, a whiff that they were Christians, everything changed. And he said, okay, let's get back to the tour. And, and he, didn't, he did not say another thing to him through the whole tour, through the whole guy thing. Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? You know what that means? That means that we have, we have got to redouble, redouble our efforts as to who we are as Christ followers to help people see who Christ is and what it means to know him. Because I can tell you, they know all about him too. They know all about him. But the only way they're going to begin to know him is to see it in our lives in a way that turns this into receptivity to what he's got for them. The kingdom of heaven, see? Um, who do others say you are? Who, who do they say you are? I'll, I'll, I'll got one more thing and I'll, and I'll, I'll be finished, okay? Um, I, I, I like the Partridge family. I'll, be, I'll admit to you. I mean, um, I used to watch it with my girls when they were younger. I used to watch Keith Partridge and David Cassidy. And do y'all know about that show, The Partridge Family? Y'all used to watch it when you were kids or in reruns or whatever. Yeah. Um, come on, get happy. You know, I was I was in all that. I'd sneak up, get up early on Saturday morning. I'd turn on the TV and I'd be singing with Keith Partridge. Man, I just wished I was the leader of the band because he all the girls wanted to date him, and I'd just sit there and watch him. I'd have his records. I'd sing in my room. Um, this. Oh my gosh, I forgot. This is on the web. Okay, um, but anyway, so, so um, I did all that, okay, it's true confessions, so I wanted my girls to watch him and everything, and, and they love Partridge Family, whatever. Well, um, I learned about David Cassidy, he really struggled with who others thought he was. That show took off so big, he would write the songs, Shirley Jones, the mother in that show, was actually his real mother in real life, and when they would sing those songs, they were the ones really singing, you know. Lori and, 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 um, and, and Danny and all those other guys, they would just, it was really Shirley Jones and Keith Park and David Cassidy that were singing all the songs. Well, his popularity took off, and when they weren't taping shows, he would be on the circuit selling out crowds and singing and making money like you wouldn't believe. The girls, he was like the Beatles. I mean, he was just like the Beatles, and he would be doing all these things. But here was the problem. He was David Cassidy. And he would tour as David Cassidy. But everybody would call him Keith Partridge. Oh, Keith! Oh, Keith! And he, it drove him bonkers. Keith is somebody I play on TV. I'm David Cassidy, you know? And it drove him crazy to the point that some say that's why the show ended. Because he couldn't, he, he couldn't live both identities. It drove him crazy. Because people thought of him as one way when he was really the other way, you know? 
he died a couple of years ago. And I followed David Cassidy because I, I, I like the guy, you know. And he went back on Broadway and acted a little bit once he got beyond all of that. And he died a couple of years ago. And his daughter was interviewed right after his death. And you know what she said about him? She said that he had a lot of demons in his life, alcohol being one of them. And here's what she said. She said the last words that came out of his mouth before he passed was, so much wasted time. And that hit me. Because Keith Partridge made an impression in my life. You know, because it's not cool for guys to sing and stuff, but I used to sing because Keith Partridge did. You know, used to be me. I, I got degrees in music. I did music. I do music all the time. You know, my daughters, everyone, my kids, we all sing. We're the Von Trapps, you know, and singing and stuff. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with that. But he had an influence in my life as Keith Partridge. But as David Cassidy, he was a very lost guy. And he got very messed up on what other people thought of him or how they saw him. To the point that when he died, he was like, so much wasted time. I don't want that to be any Christ followers mantra because the purpose we have in our life is so much deeper because to people who know Christ we have the keys to the kingdom of heaven we have the power to bind things on this earth that get bound in heaven and to lose loose loosen up on this earth people's souls that will loosen up them in heaven so that they can know him. Don't, don't get your identity confused, okay? Don't get it confused. God's way of reaching the world is through everybody sitting in here right now. That's how he's chose to do it, see? And it, it's up to us. This is a beacon, this community of faith right here, touched so many lives. And there are so many lives out here left to touch. Okay? So those are the three questions I feel like every Christian ought to answer. Well, I made my college students answer them. I made myself answer them. You know? Who do you say Jesus is? Really? Is he your master? Is he your Lord? Or is he just a friend? To where you can just culturally, just let your culture affect your Christianity instead of letting your Christianity affect your culture affect your life you see um, who, who does Jesus say you are what would he say you are this morning you know do you honor him with your heart or are we just lip service you know um, who do others say you are the people you don't know what would be their first impression of a Christ follower see, three important questions that I feel like we all have to answer and Matthew felt it was so, Jesus felt like it was so important. He addressed it with his disciples, okay? Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we love you. We love you with all we know how. And Father, I, um, I thank you so much for this biographer, Matthew, who was instrumental in emphasizing that the kingdom of heaven is not something we attain later in life, but it's something that's with us here and the now. And I thank you, dear Father, that as we know you, 
as we are intimate with you, you know our hearts. I pray if there's anything in our life right now that is keeping us from being more intimate with you, to, to have you affect us in our life, to have you grow us in our life, to, if there's anything right now that's hindering us from being who we need to be as effective Christ followers, not just in our personal life, but in the plans you have for us every day with the people that you bring into our paths so that we might be that kingdom of heaven influence for them. I pray that you point that out to us today. I pray that we would be so bold today that we would say as we walk out of this place that we would realize the kingdom goes with us. The kingdom is us. It is you in us. And this next week, that there would be a divine appointment that you would draw somebody into our life, that you would give us the words, that you would give us the actions and the prompting to share the kingdom with them. And no matter what they say, no matter what their response is, whether they turn it off or whether they turn it on, to the response to what we say to them. I pray you give us the strength to just stand there and know that we have been obedient to you to plant the seed that will at some point grow in their hearts and in their, in their, in their lives so that they can have the kingdom of heaven in their life, both now and forevermore. God, I thank you I thank you for you being the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I pray we take up our cross, we take up your will, that we deny ourselves, and we follow you. We love you, Jesus. We lift these things up to you in Jesus' name. Amen.